Okay, so why don't we start? Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Cashflow Unscripted. We are a podcast coming to you from India with topical insights from leaders of the Indian business and finance community. My name is Ankur Bhagiria. I am the founder of Cashflow, and I have with me today Mrs. Anjali Bansal. For those who don't know Anjali, she is the founder of Avana Capital and the chairperson of the Investment Council at NITIO. She also serves on the board of several large companies across sectors, including likes of Tata Power, Siemens, Delivery, and Bata. Anjali has had an illustrious career so far. She was previously the non-executive chairperson at Dena Bank, partner at MD at TPG Capital. Uh, Anjali also founded and led Spencer Stewart India Practice and was a management consultant with McKinsey before that. And we're privileged to have her on board as an investor at Cashflow. Now, I've had the privilege of interacting with Anjali uh, several times in the past, and it has always been a great uh, learning, uh, listening to her insights on a variety of topics. And I'm very excited to have her here as our guest on Cashflow Unscripted. Anjali, would you like to say hello to our listeners and share a few words about yourself and what's keeping you busy these days? Thank you, Ankur, for that very kind introduction. Um, hello, listeners, to Cashflow's podcast series. Uh, it is my pleasure to be here with all of you and with Ankur and have a discussion this afternoon on supply chains and financing and what the world could look like post this COVID pandemic lockdown. Ankur, you asked an interesting question. How is one spending time these days? I think it seems that uh, time has really sped up since the lockdown. Uh, everyone I know, including myself, we seem to be working longer hours. And this work from home is absolutely back to back and very, very efficient and productive to the extent where days are starting to blur together. Uh, but at the same time, I think we are finding so much more innovation and creativity emerging out of this crisis. One observation I have, actually it's a, a positive one, is the collaboration and the coming together of various stakeholders in our economy has been absolutely unprecedented. Whether it is government and industry, government and startups, startups and large industry, and all of the above with our social sector. So trying to find innovative solutions for healthcare, for keeping business running, for maintaining continuity of supply chain for essentials, and last but most importantly, the care and the thought that has gone from all segments of the economy, large companies, individuals, as well as startups, to finding solutions and reaching out to some of the most vulnerable segments of our society, whether it is through meal camps, uh, distribution of food packets, uh, providing healthcare services and outreach to stranded people, to migrant labor, to daily wages. I think all of this gives me a sense of optimism that while we are in an absolutely unprecedented global human and economic crisis, some solutions will emerge. Thanks, Anjali. I think that's uh, you know, very well put. I think uh, these are absolutely unprecedented times, which will give rise to business models and models of operations which were previously unheard of and unimagined. Uh, and you mentioned a very interesting thing. Uh, you know, and I noticed that you sit at a very interesting vantage point, working closely with uh, government, with industry, and of course, uh, being clued into the banking sphere. Uh, so from your vantage point, how, you know, what is your 
outlook towards the economy over the next 12 months i know it's a question that will not have a very precise answer and i don't expect that but where 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 do you use how long do you think this pain will last and how do you see this economy coming out of it so unfortunately i could there's no clear uh, answers that i can see and this is a discussion as you can imagine happens all the time in various forums and the uh, dependency here is very much on first and foremost the health and safety of our people as uh, employees as colleagues as a society and then around the world um lockdown has helped india certainly i think india took a very decisive uh, step and it is being recognized now globally uh, to go into a lockdown mode and that seems to be flattening the curve as far as the data currently shows but we don't know whether there will be a wave 2 or a wave 3 god forbid and thus consequently whenever there is a lift on the lockdown what will be the shape of that lift and the duration of that lift so there are so many unknowns here with health as the primary factor that it is not quite clear whether this uh, the the shock to the economy will last for a quarter or two quarters or for the remainder at least of this calendar if not financial year i think where we are sitting today it looks extremely optimistic to think that it will be a one quarter long event it does look like we will go well into the second quarter of the indian fiscal at least and perhaps maybe longer i mean we've already seen a supply shock when we went from sort of zero to uh, from 100 to zero and when the lockdown happened coming out of this uh, with losses of revenue over this uh, shutdown period um, as well as a dampening of sentiment overall globally and in india and consumer confidence there is going to be a demand shock and hence consequently the shape of economic recovery is very unclear right now i think there are very well qualified economists who are coming up with uh, analyses and predictions on that front yeah and and actually that brings us to our main topic for the day as well uh, you mentioned uh, supply chain shocks you mentioned uh, the challenges that india supply chains will see uh, when they start coming out of this crisis um, given the uncertainty uh, that exists currently and that is bound to exist in the coming months as well uh, and you 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 sit on several boards of large corporates what we understand every company is currently thinking about cash conservation payments are getting delayed or even suspended supply of credit from the banking ecosystem has shrunk dramatically and small businesses are feeling the pinch more than anyone else how are you seeing corporates you know think about this for their own suppliers you know their uh, their supply chains what's the what's the thinking that's evolving on that front corporates the large responsible good citizen corporates are actually quite concerned about their vendors and supply chains as well um so listen this was a much required lockdown and so it is less about the lockdown per se but what happens after and while we have seen a lot of some action at least where companies have delayed payments or invoked force majeure to um, indefinitely suspend payments i think a lot of the larger companies are in active discussion with their regular suppliers and their dealers as well on the distribution side 
from a partner from a spirit of partnership rather than invoking contracts i think there is a sense of we are all in this together uh, beyond the health crisis this is an economic crisis and i'm seeing that there are some support mechanisms being put in place uh, with companies that are reaching out to their partners on both sides both on the supply side as well as the distribution side but going forward with liquidity at a premium and the cost of capital likely to in some ways from a risk point of view increase for all segments but disproportionately increase for some of the msme players uh, that tend to be more in the supply chain side i think the the borrowing cost or the cost of liquidity and capital will go up for msme yeah and uh, when it comes to cash conservation and you mentioned uh, you know the conversation that corporates are having both on the dealer side as well as supplier side um you know liquidity of course uh, will come at a premium uh, is there any thinking around how corporates can uh, you know work with financiers to potentially infuse liquidity in their supply chains what is you know how are they viewing uh you know this dynamic going forward because from what we understand previously the corporates would have set payment terms with their suppliers let's say you know a 30 day payment term and then you know on the due date the corporate would release that payment or potentially sometimes even delay that payment to uh, you know by a few days but going forward uh, that 30 day may not remain 30 right it might extend to 60 or potentially even more uh in such a scenario from a supplier standpoint the squeeze gets even worse so is there any evolving thinking around how financiers can potentially plug this gap uh, as far as large corporate supply chains are concerned so there are a couple of government schemes that have got announced one is the um, provision of uh, small business financing whether it is through sibi or nabard in the agri rural sector um and indeed public sector banks will also come up with schemes to support msmes uh, i see this being very much top of agenda in the policy circles support for msmes because there is a recognition that msmes really are the sort of heart and blood of the indian economy um as far as large corporates are concerned there is a role they can play which is uh, to continue to support to uh, work closely and partner with both dealers and suppliers Uh, it's not entirely clear as of now what they can do directly till their own business models emerge uh, in the post covid world but if it means uh, working together to help their supply chains again at both ends be able to access credit you know at some level this is going to become about access to credit at a reasonable cost that's right understand and uh, as far as uh, organizations are concerned uh, as they think about the post covid era how do you, how do they think about building more resilient supply chains going forward what are some of the measures mm-hmm. that you think uh, they will be taking or they should be looking to take in order to uh, you know as a, you know a, a, in order to sort of come out more resilient towards future crises as it as, as it were so two trends that are emerging one is absolutely massive acceleration towards digitalization 
So having far more control over data and thus being able to track and trace all your inventory, um, all the movement of goods, again, at both ends of the supply chain is becoming essential. And I'm seeing uh, that even some of the more traditional companies and traditional parts of our economy, including sort of traders and MSMEs and so on, are embracing digital at a pace that they hadn't done before. So one is anything that is digitalized is likely to come out stronger, uh, whether it is a function or it is a business. The second is uh, real sort of uh, revisit of the overall global supply chain footprint. So over the last two, three decades, there has been a shift and a really significant move to lean manufacturing, lean inventory, uh, globally distributed supply chains, lowest cost manufacturing and so on. And now having seen what this uh, interdependence, global interdependence and linkages can um, sort of do in adversely impacting the movement of a supply chain, we are starting to see conversations on onshoring or nearshoring for critical components. We saw this in pharma, for example, earlier this year, whereas in, uh, in India, not too much is directly imported from China, but China is the biggest source of APIs for the pharma industry around the world. So if, if even one country shuts down, and this is again, it seems that pandemics of some sort or the other are here. And if not COVID, it could then be something else. Um, so the dependence on any one geography for very specific components or inputs like APIs, I think that is being reconsidered at this point. So as I mentioned earlier, the onshoring, nearshoring, uh, diversification of the manufacturing portfolio. And this is where in some ways India can actually take a big share of that pie if we prepare ourselves adequately. So there's an opportunity for the manufacturing sector in India, um, along of course with the policymakers, to capture this uh, sort of global sentiment shift from uh, the dependency on Chinese manufacturing. That's interesting. Uh, and do you see that shift happening um, across sectors? Do you see some sectors uh, particularly uh, you know, doing that a lot more than others? For instance, you mentioned pharma. There's also auto, of course, you know, which has heavy dependence on China. Hmm. Do you see that uh, trend sort of playing out across sectors? Oh, very much across sectors. In fact, I mentioned pharma because pharma is not a direct dependence. Uh, but indirect, and even that is being now thought about. So certainly in engineering, consumer durables, in auto, where there is a very significant part of the supply chain that is linked into critical components coming from China. It, it could even be, as I mentioned, consumer electronics for that matter. Um, so there actually the linkage is even more direct. For sure, see, there are so many things that are... Um, would, we would have been hard to believe even three months ago. Who would have thought that oil would go negative, for example? Uh, we don't know how the foreign exchange curve will play out. But to your point, yes, currency is shifting in a certain direction. So how do we take advantage of that? Um, there is a global sentiment shift away from manufacturing or dependence on Chinese capital or Chinese manufacturing, including in India now. And we are hearing things from the US and Europe all the time. So it is a complex set of variables here. Uh, not all of that will play in India's favor here, but certainly we should be looking to take advantage of 
opportunities, particularly when it comes to manufacturing. Right. And sort of building on from that, what do you think should be the key imperatives for both finance and procurement leaders uh, in navigating supply chain risk in this post-COVID era? You mentioned uh, sort of insourcing a bit and and maybe moving uh, some of the supply chains back to India. Beyond that, do you have suggestions or do you see certain imperatives emerge for both finance and procurement leaders? So one of the things, Ankur, that will emerge from here is whenever we thought about enterprise risk, we used to think about foreign exchange, financial interest rates, uh, ops, and then more recently, cyber. Supply chain never quite featured on the list of, high up on the list of risk. Going forward, I think for supply chain leaders and finance leaders, first they will have to work very, very closely together, even more closely together. And supply chain will become much higher on the risk agenda of companies and their boards. So -hmm. reliance on any particular location, any particular vendor, uh, I think will, will be reconsidered now. And at the very least, this will be a part of all risk discussions. So how should they manage risk? One is for supply chain leaders, this is a good time to really uh, step up and uh, play an even more visible, important role in their company's leadership team and as a strategic partner to business. So not an enabler only, but a very much a strategic partner and a large part of the enterprise risk. And for finance leaders in the company to work with supply chain to see what is the what are the financial tools that supply chain needs um, including by the way if you know if we go into a at least a period of time when there is less of a shift on low cost manufacturing uh, less of a focus and we start shifting towards maybe let's say more inventory so that you are reducing your risk that has an immediate effect on working capital for companies um, so so clearly supply chain and finance will have to work even more closely together Right. And that then leads to all sorts of other implications for uh, margin, for value creation in the company, for shareholders, other stakeholders, and suppliers and vendors also. That's right. And uh, you mentioned earlier briefly around digitalization as well, tracking, mm-hmm. tracing, movement of inventory, investing in digital. Mm-hmm. Do you see that uh, trend really picking up uh, in the coming let's say the next 12 months or, or beyond, where, where should be corporates invest, where should they be investing as far as digitalization is concerned? I think it's, uh, it's, it, there is one good thing that comes out of this glo- global pandemic and shutdown and so on, is in addition to what I mentioned earlier, humanity hopefully learning to collaborate better. The other big silver lining is the acceleration of digital. And it's not a 12-month phenomenon. It's actually a here and now. The fact that we are having all of our meetings today on Zoom and the number of meetings I've had in the last month, which in an ordinary course of events would have taken us a month to just coordinate schedules. And we could just get everyone together quickly on a Zoom and get work done. So productivity, efficiency, uh, and thus investment in digital for that reason, investment in data for that reason, that I think is already here. 
the implication again for supply chain for uh, uh, large scale industrial will be where you do interesting things with technology and data it's actually now an all pervasive horizontal across the enterprise and and i'm seeing this that companies that are either digitally enabled digitally led or or good with dealing with technology and data are actually coming out of this and finding a way to deal with it in a much more agile and nimble way and do you see that trend even with some of the you know what they call quote unquote old economy sectors and companies that were previously a bit slow in adopting digital do you see that uh, shift happening there as well absolutely i'm going to give you two examples maybe three one is an everyday example so when the lockdown happened think about who now supplies you immediately the supply of grocery and essentials became the paramount thought on everyone's mind um once offices were shut and we all agreed that our teams are safe and we are working from home and so on it's not necessarily the e-commerce players at that point but it is the neighborhood grocer your kirana fellow uh, your neighborhood chemist that started supplying and two weeks into lockdown and then four weeks into lockdown when it became clear that cash is a potential transmitter all of them have now shifted to some form of digital payment most of them to multiple forms of digital payment so if you're thinking supply chain this is really where the rubber hits the road this is the last mile your everyday eggs bread milk vegetables fruit wallas who come and supply uh, the self employed the micro entrepreneurs right so they are shifting they have already shifted to digital they are able to now transact on whatsapp whatsapp has has rolled out in a very large way their api solutions partnering with multiple uh, tech players as well as multiple traditional players including in bangalore where they enabled literally overnight they enabled the supply of grocery then so that this is a extremely bharat this is not large enterprise large investment but very very bharat embracing digital two is when when we look again at the essential supply chain so fmcg down to wholesale warehouse distributor retailer and consumer that entire chain is getting digitalized because of this crisis because there is otherwise no way to track movement of goods and services so the collaboration between india and bharat uh, to me is again a silver lining if we if we are able to bridge that digital divide between india and bharat and supply chain is actually driving that bridge Yeah no that's very interesting uh, i think fantastic points as far as uh, digitalization is concerned and i think having that visibility downstream for essential goods is becoming the need of the art certainly and i would imagine or i mean i would rather ask you the question do you see a similar need for creating that visibility on the upstream side of the supply chain as well when it comes to procurement when it comes to raw materials mm-hmm. um previously the you know the the time that it takes from the supplier to you know ship the material to the buyer the extent of visibility would typically be limited do you see uh, and in fact even if i were to take that argument further uh, moving from tier 1 to tier 2 suppliers for instance mm-hmm. uh, and tier 2 to tier 3 suppliers typically as a corporate you would have limited visibility on you know the upstream supply chains 
Mm-hmm. Do you see there is a, an increasing need for building visibility on that front as well? So I think there's a real opportunity there, frankly. So just the other day, the uh, Traders uh, Cooperative Body of India announced that they are actually launching an open marketplace to facilitate this uh, plug-and-play model for Kirana. Now, just as this is happening downstream, we are already seeing some of these initiatives upstream. Uh, so particularly in agri and from farm, the sourcing, whether it is, you know, FPOs like Kamatan or uh, uh, Cool and Ninja Cart and so on, who have stepped in to do digital procurement and digital delivery of raw material and supply chain uh, to factories and for FMCG. So during the period of lockdown, given the focus on essentials, some of the low hanging fruit on moving up the digital curve, we are already starting to see. I mean, I'll give you an example of companies that are in the startup ecosystem, much like Cashflow. So we have a company called Coverfox. Coverfox does digital insurance distribution, and they have a call center to support the digital B2C. Um, in literally two days, they turned around a remote call center capability. And then they found that because they can now do, agents can be anywhere and work from anywhere because they set up the remote call center uh, capability within their firewall they can actually expand their agents network dramatically. So there are new business models itself that are emerging out of this. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that, Anjali. Uh, I think that's, you know, that's been super insightful. I think overall, I'm sure uh, our listeners have had um, you know, something that they can take away from this. Personally, I think uh, a few key themes uh, that you touched upon, I think, the need and the extent of digitalization that is going to ensue uh, post-COVID. I think that's a here and now opportunity and not even a 12-month down opportunity. And you shared a few examples. I think those were really powerful. Um, the other piece is around revisiting the global supply chain footprint and you know reducing dependence on any one geography. And more broadly, enterprise risk, which was previously... Uh, you know, where supply chain risk was not really a key area for discussion. Um, I suspect now that will become a key part of the agenda. Uh, I think those were some key takeaways that that I found. I'm sure our listeners would have, uh, you know, would, would find that insightful as well. So thank you so much, Anjali. I think that that's been fantastic. Um, just wrapping up, uh, you know, on a slightly lighter note, what are you looking forward to once, you know, the lockdown gets lifted? Oh, great question. Um, maybe a short holiday once the lockdown is lifted and we are allowed to travel. Um, and certainly being able to go for a nice long drive somewhere. Otherwise, yeah. I think we have some of the fortunate few. We are sitting in our comfortable homes, being able to work and be fully productive and have our families with us. My heart really goes out to the, so the very large numbers of people who are possibly stranded away from their families, away from their workplace. And particularly, I'm sorry, you you did say a lighter note, but that is the piece that I actually worry about a lot, the human cost for people who may not be in as comfortable a position. Summer rolls into India, we know how severe our summers are here. So ensuring the well-being of very large numbers of people and the, the more vulnerable segments of society. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, yeah, the 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 whole debate around 
economic cost versus you know health cost is not a trivial one and certainly not uh, an easy one to answer and i think for their sake and for everyone's sake yeah. let's hope we can come out of this sooner than later uh, there is uh, yeah no doubt about but that. as 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 was said you know jaan hai to jahan hai so first you have to survive and then we can thrive and it's less about to me it's actually less about the economic cost it's really about focusing on the human cost whichever way and seeing what we can do to help yeah no fantastic thank you thank so you. much anjali uh, yeah. you know this has been great uh, you know we hope to you know have you back uh, on the show soon again uh, but as for now that's all from us you know that's all from us here on this episode of cash flow unscripted thank you so much all for listening uh, if you enjoyed this episode do consider subscribing to us on spotify or apple so we can gently remind you when our next episode is out You can also write to me at ankur at cashflow.io. That's a n k u r at the rate c a s h f l o dot i o. If you want us to add us to your mailing list and uh, if you're interested in joining us on the show, thank you. Uh, stay safe and have a good day. Thank you very much. Bye.